This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get to Brown's Film Breakdown on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, I'm going to talk to you guys about a topic everybody should be paying attention to. Most of my listeners are young, male, adult, NFL fans. Take care of your family. Get life insurance. Ethos Life Insurance is here to do that for you guys. I have a son who's one year old. I have a wife. I got life insurance through Ethos. You absolutely need to do the same. Okay, Ethos.com, the beautiful part of this company is there's no medical exams for any policies covering under a million dollars. None of those pushy doctor's appointments where you got to go three or four times to get proof validation, all that stuff. No hours of paperwork, no meetings, any of that stuff. Okay, it can only take 10 minutes to apply. You can rest assured knowing you've taken the steps to protect your family. In most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day. Having life insurance can free you from the stress. Okay, getting life insurance shouldn't cause you any of that stress. Ethos is here to change that. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in just minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com. Getethos.com, go today. Cue the music. Welcome to Brown's Phone Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, writer for Cleveland.com. You guys know me. You know the work. I always appreciate you guys jumping on. We got some exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. We got some really fun rumors that are happening here on a Tuesday night. I can't get into those, but I will tell you that the rumors are juicy. These rumors seem to be more authentic than rumors I have heard on this topic in the past. It is not to say a deal gets done or not. And yes, I said a deal could be a trade, could be a signing in the next week or so as free agency gets going. But nonetheless, I'm here to talk to you about the recent news of the Cleveland Browns, and then we will get to our guest where we will start driving into draft content heading into the draft in late April. If you have not already done so, I've wrote uh, free agency pieces for Cleveland.com as well as the OBR. We're looking at the players the Browns will likely be looking at in certain positions we have covered wide receiver on the offensive side of the ball. We were going to do offensive tackle, but Greg uh, Robinson sort of alleviated that need. So on the other side of the football, we took a look at three angles in which I think the Browns are going to pursue position-wise. That is an edge rusher. They are going to look at defensive tackle, and they are going to look at linebacker. Now, some of those big names were tagged, Jadavian Clowney, D. Ford, Demarcus Lawrence, Grady Jarrett, some of the big names, Frank Clark, but that doesn't mean there aren't names out there to be had. You know, there's not... Uh, the biggest names in the world, but there are Trey Flowers, very good uh, defensive end. We're going to get to uh, talk about him with Mark Schofield a little bit later. Out of New England, there's also uh, Preston Williams, Zadarius Smith, Henry Anderson, among many other names, Darius Phylon, Timmy Jernigan. There are names out there to be had the Browns can pursue along the defensive line where I think they need the most help heading into the draft. Linebackers, you have multitude of options. You have... C.J. Mosley to Baltimore could kill a, uh, you know, a division rival, take one of their players. You could also get 
somebody along the lines of Anthony Barr, who is a uh, edge rusher supreme, but is also a linebacker hybrid, all the same, can get after the quarterback. Then you could get my favorite player at the linebacker position, which is Jordan Hicks, really good football player uh, that the Eagles won't be able to keep around, can do a lot in coverage, sound tackler, be really good playing uh, next to Joe Schobert. So options are there. Wide receiver John Brown is an interesting name, Baltimore player who was let go, thrived under uh, Joe Flacco. Uh, things fell off a little bit under Lamar Jackson as the passing game faded. Really good deep threat. Really interesting to see there. Uh, Brashad Perriman, we don't know what's going on with that contract, but when your agent is Drew Rosenhaus, you just never know where that's going to shake out. He's going to test the market. Rashad Higgins will be back. They put a tender on him. They will they will make sure he's back in a Cleveland Browns uniform. But then outside of that, Tyrell Williams is a name that you can pay attention to. I'm not sure the Browns are going to want to put up that kind of cash in a, in a draft that has some really good wide receivers in it. We'll see. Uh, but there's also Dante Moncrief's another name to pay attention to. That is all outlined in the articles. I suggest you read those. I look forward to your feedback if you give me some. I always love the interaction that comes with that. Free agency will get wild starting early next week. The tampering period starts on the 11th. Then it gets to the official signings on the 13th. If you do recall, last year the Browns went out and made those trades for Tyrod Taylor, Demarius Randall. Um, they made those trades, uh, brought in some players there. I think it was March 9th, so we're coming up around that area in which you will see the Browns start to get uh, hot and heavy in some of those Trade markets, players that are made available, I do expect them to be aggressive. I know John Dorsey came out and said, don't expect us to be aggressive. It's not as necessarily the time to go for it, but I just do not believe that. I believe John Dorsey's nature is that of aggression. He wants to build winners. He wants to build them as quickly as possible because he knows, A, the shelf life for his job does not last forever. B, he has a quarterback on a rookie contract who's ahead of schedule in terms of production and processing and playability. You don't get that. You don't get a cheap quarterback for long. You have three years, a fourth possible in that fifth-year option to make it happen. Uh, we will see how they approach it, but I do expect, although we got the misdirection from John Dorsey, I expect them to be aggressive, and I expect it to happen early and often in this next two months as things get a little bit crazy. Uh, another piece of news that came out recently was the uh, Andrew Barry decided to take a job with the Philadelphia Eagles, and I, I wish him nothing but the best. I think he is a fantastic talent evaluator. I obviously understand him wanting the promotion. He will fit in well with the heavy analytical department, uh, that drives the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously, Paul DePodesta still in Cleveland is the anchor and all of that stuff, but Andrew Barry is a, is a rock star. I think he's going to be great in the NFL, still a very young uh, front office mind, and he's just going to keep getting better, and you're going to hear his name in the NFL for the next two or three decades. So all the best to Andrew Barry. Again, guys, we are going to be addressing things as they come, free agents, big signings, anything, big trades, those things shake down, but we are going to hit every position going into the draft. Now, there are a lot of positions to hit, obviously 22 of them heading into the draft, so I want to start knocking these out early. I figure the one to start with is the one that maybe everybody cares about the least this year, which is just mind-blowing considering that it is the Cleveland Browns. It is the quarterback position. They have solved this issue to an extent, right? They have uh, you know, 99% of it solved. They have Baker Mayfield there. They have trust in him in the future. He proved that he is worthy of that number one pick. He is the uh, best young quarterback doing it right now. Outside of Patrick Mahomes, those two are the two creme de la creme players. We look forward to what Baker Mayfield will do. There are questions about the Browns quarterback position to still answer. Who they will go to in the backup quarterback department. Do they believe Drew Stanton can handle those duties? Or do they believe they need to either A, draft somebody, which we will talk with Mark about, or B, do they need to go out and sign somebody? There are some fun names in the market, which I have addressed through the Orange and Brown Report. Names like Ryan Fitzpatrick, Trevor Simeon, some names like that that can just hold down that backup role and help Baker out approach week to week, uh, series to series, almost snap to snap on the sidelines. So 
Uh, plenty to talk about with quarterbacks. Want to talk about the big names. Want to talk about how the quarterback class compares. Let's jump over to our guest, Mark Schofield. All right, everybody. Excited to welcome in as we gear ourselves up for the draft. A long two months here, but I do want to make sure that we we preview every position, no matter how important it is to the Browns' future. We can finally say that they have found their quarterback, but that doesn't stop us from getting some analysis from those that I trust. Bringing to you guys, Mark Schofield. I think you should know that name if you don't. Mark writes it inside the pylon, Pro Football Weekly, Pat's Pulpit, amongst many others. Hosts Locked On Patriots as well. He's a quarterback guru, just like myself, Mark. Buddy, how are you? Jake, what's going on, my friend? Good to be with you, buddy. Yeah, man, good, good. I'm excited to have you on. I, I'm interested in, in in comparing, contrasting, and then just sort of looking at this quarterback class as a whole. Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw it at you, man, and put it on the put it on the table, and you can, you could tell me about these quarterbacks this year. I don't know how much you've studied them. I'd imagine quite a bit, but just just sort of your thoughts on Kyler, and then you know your thoughts on Dwayne Haskins, the two big names in this quarterback class. Yeah, let, let's start with Kyler and. He's going to be, and he has been, sort of an, an interest in evaluation for a number of reasons. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with Matt Waldman, and he and I did a podcast uh, for his site, uh, the RSP Film, the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, where we talked about how a lot of these quarterbacks in this class, and it's not just Kyler Murray, it's a lot of these guys, they're proven to be difficult evaluations for us for a number of different reasons. W- with Murray... Let's take sort of the athletic stuff with him that people like to talk about and put it to the side for a moment. Because I think what sort of get, gets lost when people talk about and evaluate and study Kyle Murray and think about where he might fall in the draft is what he can do from the pocket. I, I think he gets sold short, pun intended, or pun not intended, however you want to put that. He gets sold short as a passer from the pocket. I think 84, 86% of his throws came from the pocket, Jake. And when I study him and I study what he does in the pocket, I find somebody that is not yet a refined passer from the pocket, but is getting to that point. When you see him run, say, mesh concept, and Lincoln Riley loved to pair the mesh with a seam-sit combination over the top of it, where you've got a seam route usually from Y and then Z running sort of that sit route over the middle. He would make those throws with anticipation, reading the mesh, seeing it covered, and then going over the top of it to throw one of those two routes. Not a lot of passers in this class are making throws with anticipation over the middle of the field between the hash marks or so. Murray can do that. Murray can throw sort of dig routes and things like that with anticipation, you know, waiting or not waiting, excuse me, throwing it before that dig route's going to clear the underneath linebacker, for example. He does that a number of times on his film. And so I think he's a much more refined passer from the pocket than he's getting credit for. One of the areas he's lacking, and then the guy we'll talk about next is, I think, a, a advanced beyond where Murray is, is in his ability to manipulate defenders with his eyes. That's an area where it has to sort of get schemed in for him. He doesn't do it naturally yet. That's something he's going to learn to do or have to learn to do. Another thing that he does fairly well that he's going to have to get better at because of his size is create throwing lanes. Now, right now, he does a fairly good job using his feet to sort of slide and create some throwing lanes. He has the ability, because of the baseball background, to throw from a number of different platforms and arm ankles and arm slots. And so he can make some throws sort of around defenders. But he's going to have to get, continue to get better at that.
uh, ability or, or repertoire as well. Yeah, you can see some of that with him. Now, like you said, the NFL is predominantly a shotgun offense these days. You know, it's rare that teams are having the guy line up under center. You know, you do it 10, 15% of the time or so, like you said. I, I think with Murray, there isn't as much experience with him sort of running – Say back to your def- back to the defense play action stuff, which teams are doing out of the pistol, out of the shotgun anyway at the college level. There's not as much evidence of him doing that, but there's some, you know. And it's one of those situations where if he had maybe another year or two at Oklahoma, similar to how Baker had, you know, a couple of extra years at Oklahoma, then maybe you'd see even more of that. But I think there's enough to make me feel that you can do some different things with him. I know John Elway at the combine basically said it's going to be tough for a smaller quarterback to line up under center and. I don't really buy into that too much. I think it's one of those situations where you'll learn to adjust the eye frame and the eye ankle because it is different. You know, don't get me wrong, lining up under center, sending back there in the gutter and the pistol, but you'll learn to sort of decipher your cues just from a different eye angle and vantage point. And so I, I think Murray, that will be an area that he'll have to develop a little bit and refine a little bit when he gets to the NFL. But I don't think he's going to be sort of pigeonholed or anything like that until like this is what you're going to have to run with him um, because he has sort of the arm talent and things like that and the ability to make throws with accuracy to all different levels of the field where he's going to be pretty scheme diverse. Timing and rhythm throws aren't really his strong suit yet. There are other guys in this class that are better at that. Uh, But I think other than that, he's pretty scheme diverse. Good. Good. Yeah. I mean, do you, let me ask you this. Cause I mean, I'm a believer in Kyler. I'm not, I'm not going to stigma him over some things that I think a lot of people are. I mean, is he, he, he gets taken first. Are you, do you see that as an appropriate landing spot or do you have a different type of grade on him? I mean, what's interesting is when I sit down and grade these guys, I'm still looking at, you know, just having two first round grades this year, maybe a third. I haven't finalized the grades yet, but they're all in that sort of late first sort of area. Now, that is in a vacuum. And the sort of the difference between evaluation and valuation is quarterbacks will get pushed up the board. And if you have a need at that position, a quarterback with a late first round grade might get drafted first overall because of the need at that position and how quarterback is such a valuable position. So if he does get drafted first overall, I think in a vacuum – it doesn't make sense, but when you evaluate, when you put a valuation on the quarterback position and the need to get it right, coupled with the absolute competitive advantage that a team will get by having a rookie quarterback playing well on that rookie deal, I think from a valuation standpoint, that it does make some sense. You know, yeah. and, and there's obviously a little bit of a d- d- dichotomy there between the two, but you know that's just sort of the nature of where the NFL is right now. Now, first overall to Arizona is something that I would disagree with and that's partly because of how I feel about Josh Rosen and how I felt about him coming out and how I would feel about him sort of ranked in this class like I would still if it were me in Arizona I would ride with Rosen I mean I just got done studying his rookie season and there were some bumps along the way there were some things that he screwed up on but he's still a cost-controlled rookie quarterback for the next three years and if you get a little bit more talent around him and he'll have that one-year learning curve under his belt I think you're going to be much more competitive quicker with Josh Rosen. That's just me. Everything seems to indicate, at least right now, that Murray is going to be the guy in Arizona. So as much as I might disagree with that, I'm not the one getting paid to make those decisions for him. So. Yeah, this whole Arizona thing is going to be just a fascinating case study on a, on a ton of different levels. Like you said, 
you don't see the giving up on a young quarterback so quickly. The guy who's giving up on the head coach and quarterback is the same guy hiring and drafting those players. It's, I mean, and, you know, as, as a Browns fan base and the apprehension that came with some of the traits that Mayfield carried, you're really multiplying those things with, with Kyler Murray. Traits that I don't think are, are rather modern. I think they're pretty archaic in thought process. But nonetheless, they are thought process pieces, and that's why Baker was an interesting case study. Not that his case study is complete, but it'll just be so much more interesting with Kyler, and I'm fascinated to watch it. We'll shift gears. Haskins, I wrote a little quarterback. Some things that come with more starts would help him, but I think it'll be really fun to watch him play at the NFL level if he's given patience, in my opinion. I won't eat up all the time. I want to know your opinion before I give you mine. So go ahead. What do you think of him? You know, what's interesting about Haskins is he's a prime example of when you sit down yourselves, whoever's listening to the show, when you go out there and do work on quarterbacks, don't start taking notes when the ball is snapped. Because with Haskins, part of his strengths as a passer right now, and part of the reason why I favor him over Murray is the mental side. And it begins with him at the line of scrimmage, you know, when they break the huddle, when they get to the line. Because you see in him the ability, and he's doing this on a game-to-game basis, on a drive-to-drive, play-to-play basis, moving people around, sliding the protection, calling out blitzes. And at times it comes from the sidelines, some of the adjustments he's making, but not always. A lot of the time it's clear that they put it on him to make these calls at the line of scrimmage. And there aren't a lot of guys – coming out of college right now that are doing stuff like that. There are a couple of guys more in the day two, day three range that are because of their experience levels. But Haskins, one of the knocks against him seems to be that he had just one year as a starter. But I think that sort of overlooks the fact that he's doing a lot of veteran quarterback type stuff at the line of scrimmage. And no, that's one thing that sort of stands out with him is sort of the mental approach. My notes on him are filled with love the approach, love the decision making, love the thought process. There are just times when it's a failure to sort of execute. I mean, you know, he had opportunities for shots downfield that he missed that everything up until the point he threw the football was absolutely picture perfect. But then whether it's a mechanical issue and he does have some lower body mechanics, which needs to get cleaned up, or it's just a misfire, it's an execution issue with him. But I think he can get that cleaned up. When you saw him thrown out in Indianapolis, you saw him cleaning up the lower body mechanics, starting to fix that straight leg issue, which has kind of been an issue for him. Surprising given his height as opposed to some of the other guys in this class where it's truly an issue because of their height. But I think he's trending in the right direction. The other thing with him is in terms of – Games to watch on a player. I love watching games where a quarterback gets tested from an adversity standpoint. I love watching games where a quarterback's team loses because I want to see how they handle those moments. My, you know, and, and when you get done sort of studying a class of players at the quarterback position or any position really, there are games that sort of stick with you. There are games that you sort of remember. And when you come on shows like this or do radio hits or whatever or do your own shows, you come sometimes go back to those games. And with Haskins, too, that really stick out to me are that Penn State game and that Purdue game and let's start with that Penn State game I watched that game live then I've probably studied it now maybe six seven eight different times and when I was watching that game live Jake I thought at halftime they were going to pull him you know he was bad in that first half he was yeah he missed some deep shots that they he had. missed some deep yeah. shots he was pressured he was flustered i remember a couple of hitch routes when he was blitzed that he just missed wildly and i literally thought that meyer was going to have to say look this is a bad environment he's struggling we're going to pull they mm-hmm. did it and they came back and they won that game and you saw him sort of fight through that adversity i love it when a quarterback gets tested because jake you know this you, you haven't played the position yourself there are going to be times when you struggle 
And as a quarterback, that's one of those sink or swim moments when you start wondering if the next time you look over to the sideline, the backup's coming onto the field. Or the next time you come off the field, you're going to be told to put your helmet on the bench, man. You're done. You know, that's happened to me. I've been there, not on a Saturday night with Kirk Herbstreet in the booth and, you know, 110,000 people at Beaver Stadium going crazy in a whiteout. But it's happened to me. And I, I know how you can sort of succumb to the quicksand in that moment or you can fight through it. And the good ones have the ability to fight through it. That's why I love that Penn State game. And the other game is that Purdue game. That's a game they lost by two scores. For most of the game, they were losing by two scores. But he kept fighting. And apropos of what we were just talking about, in the fourth quarter, there's a fourth down and eight play. He saw zero blitz pre-snap. He brings the tight end to help in the protection. You know, he changes things at the line of scrimmage. Then they drop off. They don't even blitz, but he still throws a rope on a ban eight post route for a touchdown. And he's doing that in the fourth quarter of a game. They were down by two scores. And so you put stuff like that together, that checks that sort of competitive toughness box for me, which is the way I evaluate quarterbacks. That's a big one to check. That's why Deshaun Watson was QB1. That's why Baker was QB2 just behind Josh Rosen, who I loved. And it's a big one to check. Haskins checks that. He checks the mental stuff. Is he a running quarterback? No. He's a battleship back there. He's your prototypical pocket passer. He's more Tom Brady than Kyler Murray. But he can make it work in the NFL, and I'm excited to see him develop in the pros. Side of the football, you know, position playing quarterback is is a part. Sometimes you can't teach. It's an eight, and I think he has that. Whatever that it is, he has it. Uh, it might not be always outward. It might not always be the guy in front of the camera who's screaming, as we see some. I mean, it's sort of interesting because you could see a number of different scenarios where it could fit for him. I do like the idea of him in New York, you know, maybe some sort of, uh, you know, off the field handling the big apple. It it might not make the most sense, um, but I don't think anybody is really ready for life in that media market. You're going to have to just learn to deal with it. But I think from a an on the field perspective, one, you've got a ton of weapons. You know, he's going to step into an huddle that has Odell, that has Barkley, that has Ingram, that has Shepard, that has an offensive line that is getting better between Solder and Hernandez, and they're going to add some different pieces as well to fill in around that. And so it's a situation where he's not going to be asked to sort of go out and create. They're going to be building an offense that's going to be geared towards winning from the pocket because that's the guy they have right now in Eli Manning. And so it's going to be an ideal situation for him to go into an offense that is going to be built around a prototypical pocket passer. And that's the perfect kind of scenario for him. You know, Jacksonville might make some sense, but we all sort of assume that they're going to go with the Nick Foles route. Washington, another team that needs a quarterback. I I don't know about that situation for him. Same thing with Denver. I like the idea of the New York Giants for Haskins if they don't address quarterback in another way. I'm with you. I think it'd be the perfect hand and glove fit in terms of handing him off. 
it, it makes a ton of sense uh, all around. I don't think we need to keep going on that because I just, if that's the spot that he can get to, I can see him really excelling. And it, you know, like I said, it makes sense for everybody. I'll ask you this, uh, sort of transitioning into combining the two. If you had to look at these two quarterbacks, sort of, and, and you could put them into your ranking for where last year's group were, how would you, how would you fit them in with last year's group? Sort of, maybe take the the five quarterbacks and then plug these two wherever you think they would go. I mean, I would still probably have Rosen one, Baker two. Yeah. I mean, uh, out of this past two classes, those are two guys that I just really liked for a bunch of different reasons. With Rosen, you know, I love the footwork. I love the mental approach. I love the complete package. I love the mechanics. He was a very, you know, between the lines, Rosen was almost your ideal draft quarterback. It was just all of the other issues that seem to be, again, rear in their head now with the off-the-field interests and whether he's got the mentality to be a leader of the team and all the sort of red flag character type things that seem to be whispers and beyond whispers even more than that last year seem to be bandied about right now where people wondering, well, is Arizona really just going to walk away from him? And so from the stuff I had access to, he was a very clean prospect. And, and with Baker, you know, I said it last year, one of the things I loved saying about him was, look, the guy just wants to cut your throat at the 50-yard line and watch you die. Like, he just wants to end you, you know. And it's that competitive toughness that you have to have as a quarterback. And that, you know, shouldn't take away from the stuff he could do as a quarterback and as a passer. I thought he was a much better anticipation thrower than people were giving him credit for. I thought he was more scheme-diverse than people were giving him credit for. I thought he had better arm talent than people were giving him credit for. But when it comes back to the fact that, look, sometimes the great ones are a little bit crazy. And with Baker, you know full well that he was always going to be a walk-on. And he is probably angry to this day that the Cleveland Browns waited a couple of minutes while they were on the clock before picking up the phone and calling him. That they waited too long to draft him. You know, he's going to have the mentality. You see it still with the Hugh Jackson stuff. And people sort of saying, you know, he shouldn't do things like that. This is who Baker is. It got him to a Heisman Trophy. It got him to be the first overall pick in the NFL. The great ones are crazy. You mean to tell me, a Tom Brady fan, a New England Patriots fan, that Tom Brady isn't a little bit crazy? He's certifiably insane. But sometimes the great ones are like that. And so I dig that with Baker. And so, you know, I like Haskins. I like Murray. I I think they're great quarterbacks. I expect to see them drafted in the top five, top ten at worst. You know, but I would still lean towards Rosen. I would lean towards Baker over these two guys. Then I think I'd put them in that next name. I'd put them in the sort of same tier as I had Darnold. So I think that Darnold, Murray, Haskins, they're kind of that sort of next cluster. And then after that, I would have Lamar. And then I would put, you know, Drew Locke, Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, and sort of that next kind of tier. You know, I, I had Lamar over Josh Allen last year. And I have sort of Locke, Jones, Josh Allen sort of in that same area where they've got some nice tools and some nice traits, but I'm not sure I see the complete package right now. Maybe it happens for them, but I'm not so sure about that. With Lamar, the athleticism and some of the stuff he could do as a passer were kind of trump cards that, you know, had me put him over Josh Allen. I'm with you. We see those pretty much the same. I think that I I would probably at my time last year I was – I was okay with Sam. I won't go into more elaborate discussion of it. I think it's all kind of out there. But in some sort of grouping, you had those top-tier guys, and then I think that Haskins and Murray are just a tier below whatever your top-tier guys, whether that was Mayfield or some people just had Rosen and Darnold. It was a weird year last year. But, uh, you know, you can revision, you know, revisionist history. Well, we want now. But 
the point is, I, I'm with you on that, Mark, that I don't think that, that, that the, these two are necessarily of the top tier as last year's groups, uh, at least those top three. So um, let, me, let me ask you this one, a couple more questions for you before we go. If, if the Browns do choose, their backup quarterback situation is very interesting. We have Drew Stanton, obviously under contract, but he wore street clothes most of the year. Tyrod Taylor was the backup as Baker took over. Tyrod's obviously on to seek out another contract, a new team. I don't know whether the Browns trust Drew Stanton long-term back there behind Mayfield dressed and ready to play. So if they don't pursue a free agent quarterback, is there anybody in this class sort of maybe in that where the Browns have a couple extra picks in the sixth, seventh round that would, you know, at least pique your interest for a long-term backup role for Mayfield? Yeah, there there are three guys, maybe I'll even mention a fourth, um, that I think would be names to keep in mind for Browns fans as we get sort of later into day three and if they haven't come off the board because there's one guy here that people, at least in the evaluation community, there's a big golf on how the NFL views this guy and the draft community views this guy. A lot of draft community people are going to view this guy near the top of their quarterback boards. But let's sort of start a guy that I think is a pretty much a scheme fit, um, mirrors a lot of what Baker did when he was in college, and so you can probably see that Freddie Kitchens and company are going to be running on offense that this guy could step in and run. Also, from a mentality perspective, this guy is really going in on the Baker 2.0 type casting, so to speak. And that's Gardner Minshew from Washington mm-hmm. State, who was a quarterback that I didn't get a chance to study because, as we see every year, there are, when I sit down and study quarterbacks, you know, Jake, I studied 40 quarterbacks last summer, and Gardner Minshew was not on my list, you know. Wow. We didn't know what we were going to see from him. Yeah. And he has a fantastic year into Mike Leach. And you go down and you talk to him with the senior bowl. And I asked him, you know, what is it about running Leach's offense that gets you ready to play in the NFL? And he looked me dead in the eye and says, look, I'm running full field, four or five receiver progressions on every single play. You don't get that from the quote-unquote pro-style college offenses. And he literally used air quotes. You know, he's going in on the whole, like, Baker Mayfield 2.0. He talked about how he's going to be down there in Mobile, not just to prove the people that believed in him right, but the people that doubted him wrong. Like, mm-hmm. so he's got that mentality. He's got sort of the schematic background with that air raid stuff, the pre- spread stuff that is going to be at least a portion of what you expect the Browns to do. Maybe not a full air raid type offense, but they're going to have some of those elements. And so I think from the scheme to the execution, I think it's a schematic fit, the mentality fit as well. I think when you watch Minshew, you see the footwork, you see him work those four or five progression reads left to right, right to left, and the feet are right in line with the mind. It's all synced up extremely well. So I love studying him on tape. Might be limited a bit schematically when he gets downfield. It's it's something I'm revisiting with all these guys, studying sort of placement issues as they get deeper down the field. Um, But as you do get downfield, Minshew, it starts to drop off a bit, so he might be more limited. But most offenses are run near the line of scrimmage anyway, so it could still fit. So Minshew's one. Ryan Finley is sort of that prototypical long-term backup spot starter type. Film rat, love talking some scheme stuff with him down at Mobile. I was asking him about some of their past concepts, and he knew everything I was talking about. Loved breaking it down with him. Very smart quarterback. You study his game against Syracuse. The Orange, they spun the safeties a ton at the snap in that game, um, but he was making his reads. Really good from a pre-snap to post-snap process and speed perspective. So I loved watching that. So Ryan Finley, I think, you know, maybe the scheme is a little bit different because he's more of a timing and rhythm passer. Um, But if that's something you want to incorporate into the offense, he can give you that. The next guy is the one that I don't know where he's going to go in this draft. I've got him as basically quarterback four on my board. Other people have him as QB5, and that's Brett Ripken at Boise State. 
I just love this kid. I've been writing about him since he was a freshman back in 2015, four-year starter. Hem and Finley, if you're one of those teams or you're one of those believers in the Parcells rules, both those guys check all seven boxes. Now, it's a lot harder to go by those these days because so many people leave early. You can't get the number of starts. You can't get the number of wins, and so you're already down two of the categories. But if you still believe in those, and there are teams that do. I know New England is one. These two guys, Finley and Rippin, check all those boxes. Rippin is sort of the refined passer in this group. You know, he does everything right, does the little things right, moving people with his eyes. It comes naturally to him. You know, making adjustments pre-snap. One of my favorite plays on him, similar to what I was talking about with Haskins, his worst game, I think, was against San Diego State. They lost that game. He looked bad at times. But in the second half of that game, they had a third and 10 situation backed up in their own end. He saw the blitz coming. He adjusts the protection. He brings the tight end in. The offensive line still doesn't pick it up. He gets hit in the chops, and he knows it's coming, but he delivers a strike on an out route to move the sticks on the third down. I just love that. You love seeing stuff like that, and he's doing it all the time. The thing with him, there are two issues that I think is holding him back as far as the NFL goes. He's a guy that didn't get a senior bowl invite. Trace McSorley got one instead of him. He's a guy that seemed to have some struggles at times at the combine. Upper end arm talent might be an issue. There are times when he has to rely more on touch, particularly in the vertical game. And he does sort of succumb to the quicksand. You will see him make a mistake and make another mistake. And sometimes it takes him a drive or two to sort of forget it. You study his bowl game from two years ago against Oregon in the Las Vegas Bowl. He threw a bad pick six. And I was, as, I was, as I was studying that game, I'm like, okay, well, this is a chance to see him get tested a bit. He comes out the next drive. He's throwing bullets left and right. I'm starting to get excited. And then he throws another bad pick. <laughs> and so you see those moments like that with him. So I want to see him sort of work beyond that. And then if you get deep into this draft, he's a guy that had a bad week down at the Shrine game, seemed to redeem himself at – the combine out in Indianapolis. He was just at the White House, Easton Stick from North Dakota State. And there are some things that he can do, some concepts that he can run where he looks every bit the part of an NFL quarterback. You run four verts with him, whether it's out of a three by one or a two by two, he's going to pick you apart. He just loves that play. As far as athleticism, look, we saw the three cone. You saw that on film. Incredible change of direction as a runner. He's elusive in the open field. He can give you some stuff with his legs. And sometimes that helps if you have to come off the bench in a game. You give the defense an extra element they're not ready for. And so as far as a developmental type, Easton Stick is another guy. If you get into sort of that sixth round range or so and he's on the board, I'd take a flyer on him for sure. So so those are four guys that I really like to varying degrees, particularly Rippon. Look, I said he's my QB4 in this group. I love this kid. I don't know. The NFL, again, seems to not like him. You know, you look at – the Pro Football Weekly Draft Guide, for example, Greg Gabriel, obviously plugged into the league, was a scout and director for a long time, and didn't even have him listed as one of his quarterbacks. And so that's kind of how the league views him. I told you how I view him. I think Kyle Krabs has him as QB5. Derek Clawson, I think, has him as QB4. There are a lot of people out in sort of that quarterback evaluation community that are really high on him. And so it's going to be interesting to see where he goes because I think he's somebody that could come off the board on day two as far as the NFL goes, some people don't even think he gets drafted. So that's going to be fascinating to watch. All right. Those are good names to pay attention to, guys. So you have uh, Minshew, right? We have uh, Ryan Finley, NC State kid. You have Brett Ripon out of Boise State. And then lastly, Easton Stick, the uh, 
uh, North Dakota State kid. So, um, yeah, some good options. I think I think the name that people connect most is Minshew to the Todd Monk and Air Raid stuff, and uh, certainly a name I'd be happy with. But those are all good names that we can pay attention to uh, come the end of the draft if the Browns do decide to go that route. Uh, something we might know a little bit more of here in the next few weeks, but nonetheless. I'm in this question with you here, Mark. Uh, it seems that your Patriots have let go of Trey Flowers for the most part. Things are going to let him catch some uh, catch some money in the market. Pretty on brand for New England. Do you think he is another of those Jamie Collins where the Patriots have gotten the most out of him, or do you see him going somewhere and still being that elite defender that he was in New England? I know a lot of Browns fans are very interested in him, so I'm asking you. Yeah, um, that, let's let's put it this way. If there was a time that I wanted the Patriots to use the franchise tag on a player so he doesn't get a chance to leave town, it was with Trey Flowers because you saw with him was flexibility schematically. The Patriots would move him all over the place up front. You know, there were times where they would put him on, you know, obviously outside the tight end, outside the tackle at times in sort of those wide nine alignments or so. There were times when they lined him up as a zero technique, put him head up on the center. There were times when they had him head up on the guard they would move him around in sort of their radar alignment where he would be the only down lineman. The other, you know, six, seven defenders up front, they're all sort of moving around. But the only guy you knew was probably coming was Trey Flowers. And they would find spots for him, whether it was against the center and the Vikings, whether it was against Michael Schofield, the guard for the Chargers, and let him wreak havoc on the inside. Fantastic hand usage. You watch his hands off the snap. He will beat you before you even know what you're doing. So he's one of those players that in this day and age, one of the best things you can do as a defense is to get an edge defender with the size and the quickness to line up inside, to work against guards, work against centers. Guys that aren't ready and experienced and used to blocking quicker defenders on the interior. He can win as a pass rusher almost from any alignment up front. He was basically their pass rush. You know, guys like Van Noy and guys like Deirdre Wise and Hightower and others – would be able to sort of pick their spots and make some plays from time to time. Obviously, Hightower had a big play in the Super Bowl. Van Noy had a couple of big plays in the Super Bowl. But from a a week-to-week basis, you know, Trey Flowers was the guy that would be their most consistent pass rusher. And he's also a very technically sound player when it comes to sort of setting the edge. Patriots fans, they have been for years – griping about the inability to consistently set the edge on the defensive side of the ball. Flowers was able to do that. You know, nine times out of ten, set the edge, turn plays back to the inside. Very mentally stout player. You see him sniff out screens, sniff out trick plays, things like that. He's a fantastic defender. He's young. And the thing that sort of works for him right now is with guys like Lawrence and Frank Clark and D. Ford and Jadavion Clowney all getting the tag, he's basically the premier pass rusher left out there unless you sort of throw a Dante Fowler into that mix. And so he's going to get paid. No, and so from the Patriots and the business perspective, I get it, but he's going to get a big time deal, I'm sure, because you've got teams like just in the AFC East with the Bills, the Jets that have a ton of cap space and would love nothing more than to poach a player like that from New England. So he's going to get paid, but as far as I'm concerned, he's worth every cent he's going to get. Yeah, he's interesting, and I know Browns fans are interested in adding another pass rusher. I'm not sure that that Cleveland will be able to afford that kind of money, but uh, you're right, Mark. He's going to get he's going to get paid. He's the premier name, and it's good to know that if the Browns do pursue him, uh, somebody plugged in with New England is afraid of letting him go. So, Mark, man, I won't take any more of your time. Just some absolutely great insight, buddy. Thanks for joining me. Jake, my man, always great to be with you. You do fantastic stuff. Keep it up, and let's let's face it. You know, it's a great time to be a Browns fan. 
because you're all heading in the right direction. You've got the quarterback thing figured out. You've got a dog at the QB position, which you needed. We all know what it's like. Well, you guys all know what it's like to go wander in that desert for years trying to find your guy. You got him. Build around with him. You guys are going to make a run this year. I believe it in my heart. Uh, hey, we're looking forward to it, buddy. That's uh, you got the 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 blood flowing at nine o'clock on a Monday here. Well, it's a Tuesday actually, or I don't know what day of the week it is. Mark. <laughs> Whatever day we're it excited. is, man, the blood's flowing. There you I go. I got a young, I got a kid, man. They all blur together at this point. So, uh, anyway, guys, Mark's work, find it. Uh, he's doing rookie scouting portfolio stuff with. Uh, Mr. Wallman, it's just fantastic work. Again, stuff can be found inside the Pylon Pro Football Weekly. Uh, you're going to be better for it. You're going to learn more about football, and then you're going to learn about uh, what is the, the Super Bowl defending champion, New England Patriots, too. So, Mark, again, man, thanks for joining me. Guys, if you could uh, hop on to iTunes, give us a fair review. We always love those, the support you give us by subscribing, giving us five stars when you can. You guys have said some great things. I really appreciate that. We will continue with these. A quarterback we start with quarterback we move on to running back next we'll get through all of the positions on both sides of the ball leading up to the draft per the usual thanks for following along guys we'll be back later this week go browns nobody builds 5g like verizon builds 5g because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in america and the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.